Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good evening, folks. Welcome to another episode of Lori's Talk News Radio. It is Wednesday, February the 11th, 2015. We've got uh, Alan Bailey's back on with us again. He's got uh, his Restoring Biblical Church series and a little sub-series, mini-series, whatever we want to call that, that he's been working on the last several weeks now is The Commands of Christ and a specific title. And I, Alan, I meant to ask you, I don't know if you got this backwards or it just looks funny to me i put it as mission impossible did you mean his mission impossible or impossible mission uh, anyway yeah, mission, mission impossible. impossible yeah <laughs> okay well thanks for joining us again and that that's what's up there that's what we've got and uh you might want to especially since this is your first time not to talk to you because you have your own but your first time to talk to you with me because we came from btr uh, you might want to explain to maybe some new listeners what you've been reading from, what you're doing, and where what you've covered, such, 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 if you'd like. Sure, sure. Uh, hello, everyone, and uh, I'm Alan. I was a pastor for 33 years in the Churches of Christ and uh, just got uh, frustrated and uh, got out of it. And so I feel a lot freer to be uh, straight and honest with people about what I believe the Bible teaches and... Uh, what I've been doing the last, uh, probably the last month or so here, I've been going through a book uh, entitled The Commands of Christ, What It Really Means to Follow Christ by Tom Blackaby. And I've just been using this kind of as an outline. And the reason I've been doing this is just to demonstrate uh, the breadth and the depth of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And I want you to compare that with uh, the teaching that you usually get at a typical church in America today. Uh, if you go to church, uh, just compare this. And not just what I'm going to go, you've probably heard some of this that I'm going to go through tonight, at least in some to some extent. But if you go back for the last month or when I started this series and just go through, and what I've been trying to say in, on every call is that I'm just barely skimming the surface. I'm, I'm introducing, I'm just giving a bare introduction to each of these commandments. And the recommendation, what I've been encouraging you to do is to chew to write these down, to write the verses down that I go over, and if you'd like a if you'd like a copy of these uh, the verses, I'd be glad to send you a copy. Just email me or email Lori, and I'll be glad to send you a copy of them. And Al, yeah, go ahead. Just real quick, since you mentioned and we did kind of transfer from BTR to talk to you in the middle of, of a series uh, of all things. For those that maybe do have an interest and want to catch the first 
five or even more maybe. Uh, just to let you all know, this LTNR on BTR stands for Lori's Talk News Radio on Blog Talk Radio. I've been there for about two and a half years or so, closer to three now actually. But anyway, uh, and so you can go there to get the archives. I've also got an associated website named Lori's Talk News Radio.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-E-S, TalkNewsRadio.com. And if you go there, uh, you, you can find everything there. It links to the it links to TalkShoe. It links to the to the uh, uh, chat room. Or I'm, I'm sorry. The uh, uh, there's a widget there for TalkShoe. It also links to, to BTR. My email address is there. I think yours is still up there. One of them, Alan. That uh, yeah, probably so. On your, your website. And so anyway, you can listen to those if you want to get caught up to what what Alan's been doing for the last month plus now. So I just thought I'd throw that out since we did kind of transition in the middle of a series. Sure, sure, that's good. And so what I'm what I'm uh, encouraging people to do is just get a feel for the commandments of Christ. And if to me we talk about all the different problems that we're having in America and uh you know, all of this, and we have this sense of gloom and doom and uh, impending uh, judgment from God, and I believe that too. The question is, how do we prepare for that? How do you prepare? There's a lot of talk about preparations, you know, uh, storing up food and uh, getting a water deal and uh, having a plan, a bug out plan or whatever you call it, and what I'm saying is the best way to prepare for it, the be- what we as Christians always ought to do, is simply come back and follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. I don't know how to say that any more simple or clear than that. That we are Christians, which means we follow the teaching, the commandments of Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And he says that uh, many times as as you go through the New Testament. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Which means doing what Jesus commands, doing what God commands us to do in the Bible, in the Ten Commandments, in the teaching of Jesus. And the New Testament, uh, and it, it, it comes down, basically Jesus summarizes the teaching of the entire Bible, in his commandments. But it's not just a superficial, I I have had calls before about uh, what's wrong in the churches today, why we're not having more of an impact, and one of the primary culprits of this is because the gospel that we preach today is so superficial. It just barely scrapes, it doesn't even convict people of sin anymore. So that people, a lot of times, it just it it preaches the benefits of how Jesus will make you happy. Jesus will Jesus will get you to heaven and make you happy and better life. And that's the Bible isn't teaching me that. The Bible teaches if you follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me, and and very possibly die. Very possibly, I mean, the Bible says he that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall, will, definitely suffer persecution. So it's not going to be an easy road. Jesus did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword, to set a man against his family members. 
it's not going to be an easy road to follow Jesus. That's why it's a straight gate and a narrow path that leads to life. And few there be that find it. And the few are those who follow the commandments of Jesus Christ. And I, I the the verse, the the passage I'm using as my primary text, I've tried uh, to come back to this every time, is Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20. This is uh, right before Jesus went back to heaven. Jesus came and spake to his disciples, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them, and here's the, the verse I'm emphasizing, teaching them to observe, to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So this is the curriculum for disciples of Jesus, for Christians. This is the curriculum for being a Christian. Hey, and yet, how, many, how many people are talking about this today? Go ahead, Lori. Are all things whatsoever, is, is, is that like everything? Uh, Sorry, folks, so. I'm a little sarcastic <laughs> sometimes. I, I do that to try to make a point because Alan and I are pretty much on the same page with most of this, and this is just an area after my heart because like Alan said, you, you don't get a lot of this from, from most of the pulpits out there, and it, this just gets me going, so thank you. Sorry, Alan, I just, I just had to add that in there. Yeah. So we are the curriculum. What we are to teach, uh, and and have a uh, a clear process of how we convey. It's not just a matter of teaching the material and going on to something else and assuming that this has been digested and put into people's lives. We don't even teach this. We don't even teach this very methodically very or in an organized way uh probably the best way to do it would be just teach through the gospels as they're written teach through and whenever there's a commandment emphasize that and it it would illustrate the context and how and then you could talk about how to apply that in your life and some of them like we had last week some of them are are quite difficult to figure out the the consistent application and how they might apply in different circumstances in different situations and we might have you don't have to agree with me on all of these but if you're a christian you're going to have to chew on them. and i've i've chewed on a lot of these for for many many years as i tried to teach them and explain them and figure them out myself and that's the process of of digesting, of chewing on them, meditating on them, trying to figure out how this might apply in in daily life, how it might apply. And this hey, is Alan? what this is what we need to do with all of the commandments. Go ahead, Lord. I, I've got another one of those questions, like we were talking about before on the on the broadcast. Sure. Not not not, not to, well. You know, one of the things that I, I am so grateful for having you on, besides I find you a fascinating guy anyway, but it is that you you are kind of unique in that you do have this 
official, formal, uh, pastoral training or duly ordained Church of Christ, da 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 da. But but so you you you've been in that, and you've got this thirty three years of experience. And one of the things it seems to me, you said about chewing on them for a long time and trying to figure them out for yourself. I, I get the idea, and and please correct me if I'm wrong. Sometimes that a lot of pastors. Because we have this sola pastura, which I've stated before, and I'll state here, I do not believe is a biblical concept. I won't put words in your mouth. I don't think you do either, but you can comment here in a minute. I think there's this this sense that they have to come, kind of like the captain of a ship. You always have to know the answer, if you do or not. And I, I think a lot of times that as pastors chew on this over the, over the years, that there's almost a, a hesitance or a reluctance to backpedal or ad, admit that there's that they were wrong on something because now it's going to maybe discredit them. It, it, did you find that or did you feel any such pressure or anything or find that with other pastors? It's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I think so. I felt it. I mean, you feel you're supposed to be the authority kind of, and you're supposed to know. And yet you don't, uh, to be honest in your, in your own personal, you're, you're fumbling through some of this. To, I've, I've, said that many times that when I I went to Bible college and graduated from Bible college and uh, was ready to go as wet behind the ears it took me 10 years of, of being a full-time pastor to kind of weed through what I grew up with I grew up with a with a very uh, kind of a limited uh, specific application of of the Bible that was uh, specifically to defend uh, the church I grew up in. That's how I think a lot of a lot of churches, a lot of preachers are. They they have a mindset of defending their fort uh, well, and from promoting their little empire. And so you feel like you've got to do that. You know, go ahead. Well, there's there's a specific reason why I ask, and and, and I'm going to ask you a question. It's probably an unfair question. If you feel like taking a shot at it, fine. But the, the reason I ask that is it seems to me that this is very problematic because if this is the case, I, as an outside observer, I've known it, as an inside observer, you're, you're expressing indeed this is so. I wonder, and, and here's the question because it probably would be speculation on your part, but I mean, it, it, it seems to me that there's got to be some, some kind of percentage of pastors that have taught something. They later learn by whatever means that they were in error, and yet... I wonder how many of them continue teaching that error for fear of admitting that they're wrong. You, you know what I'm saying? And I, I can't help but think that that's maybe a little more prevalent than we might think it is. Do you have any thoughts on that? And then I'll, then I'll leave you go on, on, on your presentation. Well, I think that's probably right. I, I, that's the impression I've gotten from uh, quite a few preachers that they – and we've gone over this quite a bit uh, – I think a lot of preachers just it's their career. It's their career. And so your career is to build up the church that you're that's supporting you, that you're part of. So basically that that confines you in the corral of their theology, of their doctrine, of their teaching. And so you kind of real hesitant to to even examine anything out that might be a little bit different than that, and I, I don't know. I can't answer for other other pastors, other preachers. I 
I mean, that's between them and God, but I've been close to pre I've been close and observed that. And it seems to me that a lot of preachers they get to the point where they just kind of they make a decision that they're just going to stay and they're just going to do be in that system, you know, and so they don't challenge it. They just protect their uh, retirement, their plan, and they would never in their even in their heart they would never say that because they're doing the they're doing the work of God. They have you have to convince yourself of that. And yet, well, I can I can go ahead. Well, just let me let me re-ask the question because that that was unfair the way I, I put it out because it was speculative at best. Has when you were pastoring, or even since for that matter, were you ever approached or, or spoken to with any other pastors that maybe privately had acknowledged to you that you know what I don't think this and that's right, but I'm I'm not going to put that out. I mean, do you do you have firsthand experience of this? as far as being told this or just things that you've observed with other I guess is, is what I'm I'm just trying to get some kind of sense for people of how prevalent it is, number one, and number two, why, uh, not not to puff you up, I, I don't want to do it, but why I, I think that you are so important because you, you've been formally trained, ordained through the system, three decades plus of experience, and you do not have that corralled, as you as you mentioned earlier, and I think that makes very special and gives us a chance to look at things we otherwise would not be able to see from a, a presently being paid pastor, I think. So have you ever personally been aware of pastors? I, I know yourself, you mentioned you kind of did, but, but with, with others, just... Well, of, of others who have challenged the, their thinking, I mean, challenged the system kind of is what I would... Am I understanding no, your question? No, what I mean is is when, when you guys got together, did you ever have another pastor come up and say, you know, we we, we, we teach this and this and this, but, you know, I'm I'm starting to think that's not right, but I'm, I'm afraid to really put that out, so I'm just going to keep with the main line. That, that, I never, that's no, I, I never had anyone say that to you. <laughs> I never oh, had another too. pastor say that to me. When you When pastors get together, it's, uh, what's a good term? Uh, <laughs> when, pastors get to, when pastors get together, it's just you're just kind of trying to uh, one up each other almost a lot of times, and and that's not always the case. Uh, sometimes you have a good uh, pastoral association where people are humble and they're just uh, caring about each other. But it, that's my experience. A lot of times, it was not very helpful. It was not very open and uh, real in your sharing, you know, about your personal life or your personal feeling and uh, growth that you're going through. I've shared uh, before that I've gone through in my personal my personal understanding of the Bible probably four or five entire paradigm shifts of how I understand the Bible, how I approach the Bible with the presupp- the presuppositions that you have. And that has to, I mean, a whole, the whole fort has to kind of fall down so that you can have another paradigm, another fort here, another basic general understanding. I've gone through about four, at least four or five of those in my, in my uh, adult life. And I don't know, I can't answer for other 
creatures uh, about what they do or what they think. Uh, it's just my perception and my experience in my whole life of uh, the association in our denomination and our church uh, system that we were in. The church we were. I was part of the uh, conservative churches of Christ, and in my whole life, I I could point to three men that I I knew personally. I respected them deeply for what they did. That they chat, they they came in their own in their own ministry to a paradigm shift, and they changed and they pursued it. They pursued it, and they were each almost everyone. Well, one of them was an older man. I've shared about him that I deeply respect, and he they tried to barbecue him or try to hang him out uh, over some of his positions. And the other two, they totally cut them off. And my experience personally was they cut me off and didn't hardly anybody even contacted me going through all of that. It's like if you, I don't know, it's it's like if you get outside of the, the wagons uh, circle and protect the cra- the group, and you're on the outside after that, and there you're uh, you're anathema after that. You've got leprosy. So that's how I well, was treated uh, personally. Alan, so. I, I didn't mean to sidetrack you. It's just I, I I think that there is a unique treat here with your being here and your history that I think most of us never get a chance in in, in our entire lives to hear. And to experience, and 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 one of the things, since you couldn't answer that, the question I originally that you really did, as far as I'm concerned, in in an indirect way, and that is, you said that you personally, as a practicing pastor, have gone through four, perhaps five, paradigm shifts of understanding of scripture. And I guess another way to answer it is, look, how many people have gone to these pastors for years after years after years that have ever seen or heard of these pastors saying, hey, I just went through this paradigm shift and I got a totally different understanding of scripture. And that was kind of the point that I was trying to get is that I, I don't get, think we get the, 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 the full skinny on it sometimes for circling the wagons, as you put it. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to, to get you sidetracked. Uh, I, I do appreciate you uh, uh, going off on that and I'll, I'll leave you be and let, let you get back to your presentation. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Interrupt any time. I don't mind. And uh, I just I can share my own my own experience. I don't know uh, other denominations. You know, these are my experiences, and it's probably pretty general, I imagine. But uh, most of what I've been trying to do in this series is just give you a uh, a, a broad general uh, depth to the teaching of Jesus. And this is what we're to teach uh, people. This is what we're to teach. Uh, we're to teach all nations. We're to baptize, the, go through the initial process of conversion, of the new birth, and and then you, we're to continue to ground them in the faith. We're to continue to teach them the commandments of Jesus and to provide some at least supervision, if not mentorship, what Jesus did is that he gave them a, a real life and blood uh, illustration, example, a model of what to do. 
for three, three and a half years, they just tagged along with Jesus. And that's one of the passages I was going to read tonight. It just says that, that over in Acts chapter 4, that they noticed, the Jewish council noticed, that these men were ignorant. Let me get the verse here. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant, they were uneducated. They hadn't been to college. They might not even been to high school, these guys. They were fishermen. They were, I mean, they couldn't parse the, the Greek, you know. They were just fishermen. They were just regular guys, working grunts. They were ignorant and unlearned men they saw the boldness, they saw, and they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That was their experience of training. They had been with Jesus for three and a half years. They lived with him. They were his intimate crowd that were with him. They ate with him. They slept with him. They, they walked and talked with him. Anytime they had a question, they would ask him. This was their training. And I don't know of anybody, I'm sure maybe there are some today in the world that do this. In America, I don't know of any that do this, where they just have people, they're a group together, and they just they go and do the work together. Most of us are Lone Ranger kind of guys, that we just are pastors by ourselves out here trying to build a kingdom by ourselves, you know. That's how most pastors do it. And uh, maybe you have a team of people that are your underlings, kind of, but we don't have this same type of training. So, But what we need to do is to emphasize the commandments of Jesus, put these into our lives. This is what this is what's going to come up on the Day of Judgment about whether or not we have chewed on these and and applied them to our life. I mean, we can talk about everything else under the sun, but I'll tell you what, what comes up on the Day of Judgment is important. And these things are going to come up on the Day of Judgment about whether or not we did, whether or not we obeyed the commandments. Did you know the commandments of Jesus? Did you, you know, make I'll... an effort to obey them? Go ahead. Well, you know, it, it, it's kind of funny you, you say that because when Maria was reading in the Old Testament, which, by the way, folks, she's finished up the Old Testament and will be starting in the New Testament uh, starting next Monday. But I, I noticed even in these major prophets, this, the, the overwhelming subject that was not prophecy. It was no. obedience and the law. It kept yeah, saying amen. If you don't do this, you turn from me, turn back to my law, turn back to my covenant. Yeah. Yeah. And the way prophecy is taught today, you you don't even get that message at all, hardly, out of it. They just emphasize kind of what, figuring out the latest, uh, you know, the latest news story of whether or not that fits into their plan, you know, some way. Instead of the clear teaching, the teaching of the Bible is to follow the commandments of God. That's what the prophets, all of the prophets, Isaiah through Malachi, they teach, go b- repent and obey the, obey the law. Repent and obey the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments. And uh, this is what we as Christians 
if the preachers of America would just preach and emphasize and pound on this. I mean, you might lose a lot of people from your church, just like Jesus did from his little church. But I'll tell you what, the people that would stay and get serious about following Jesus might make a difference in the world more than what we've got today with all the uh, shallow, uh, half-hearted Christian people that we have today. So that's why I'm going through this. And I'm just, I could spend, we could, you could spend an entire lesson on each one of these commandments. But tonight the, uh, I entitled this, in the book he just called it, uh, calling, the calling. And he groups these, he groups the commandments into six different categories, and this category was called calling. Well, that doesn't light my fire, I don't know, but uh, so I, I kind of like to do a good title, so uh, what I said today was mission impossible as a question. Is this, what is the mission that Jesus gives us, and is it impossible? Is it an impossible mission that Jesus gives his disciples, his church? And I would like for you to chew on that. That's a pretty good thing to chew on. A lot of people would say, well, yeah, it is impossible. You shouldn't even try, you know. I mean, uh, uh, we, don't, we believe that it never will. It never will succeed. It never will. Uh, but we can – but the question is, is it an an impossible mission is did Jesus was he serious about giving us these commandments about our mission if we choose to choose to take that mission you know those old mission impossible shows they would have it and they would say uh your mission uh whatever the guy's name was should you choose to accept it well that's what it is for us if we're dedicated christians uh, here's the mission of Jesus. This is what he calls us to do. And we have, go, we have gone over some of the others about the, the depth of the commitment, the, what he says. He, he makes no bones about it that if you come follow me, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to leave uh, the comfort. You're going to have to come follow me. And uh, that's all of us need to chew seriously on these commandments. Uh, Luke chapter 6, 43. For a good tree brings forth good uh, for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth the corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Jesus is a fruit inspector. God is a fruit inspector. One time Jesus came by a fig tree and he expected to find some fruit on it because it had leaves, but he found no no fruit on it. And so he cursed the barren fig tree. That's a, that's a powerful lesson about what God, what Jesus is looking for in our personal lives, in our churches, in our nation. He's looking for a certain kind of fruit. What kind of fruit is he looking for? He's looking for the fruit of genuine obedience to his commandments. That's what he's looking for. For every tree is known by his own fruit. Don't just listen to what people say. And the older I get, the more I'm realizing the wisdom of what Jesus says. Every tree is known by its fruit. Don't listen to what people say. People will say one thing, 
but their life produces, their actions produce something different. Look at the fruit. Jesus looks at the heart. He looks at the fruit that is produced in our life. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Oh, we all love to have Jesus. We all love to sing songs about Jesus. But Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's what I'm emphasizing in this series of lessons. And so what is our mission? What is the mission that Jesus calls us to. If we come, take up our cross, and follow him, what is the mission? Well, Jesus spells it out pretty clearly. Let's just go through some of these. I'm just going to read the scriptures and talk about them in just a minute, and then we'll go on to the next one. The first one is, seek first the kingdom of God. And... The Bible says this in different ways. The Bible says the first commandment is, have no other gods before me. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the first is the advancement of the kingdom of God, to be a part of the kingdom of God, and to advance the kingdom of God in the world, to advance the influence of Jesus Christ throughout the world. This is our mission. To pray every day, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May may your name be hallowed upon the earth, all over the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer, this is our life, this is what our life should all be about. First, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, it's extremely, it's extreme, it's funny, it's in one sense funny, not funny, not humorous funny, that today in America, in the churches of America, we're not even sure what the kingdom is. We're not even sure if the kingdom is here or if it's coming back in the future when Jesus returns in power and sets it up in Jerusalem and reigns with force over the entire world. We're not sure exactly what the kingdom is. So how can we really seek first? If if that's our concept, what, what does that mean, to seek first the kingdom of God? I used to, when I, what I grew up with, we were taught that the kingdom of God came in Acts chapter 2. The kingdom was set up. Jesus went back to heaven, was installed as the king of kings and lord of lords at the right hand of God. He sent the Holy Spirit, which inaugurated the kingdom of God, 
And we were taught that the kingdom and the church are basically equal. I've come to, I've come to a different understanding of the kingdom. The kingdom is much broader is a much broader concept than the church. The church is the the means by which the kingdom is brought and established in the world, is is advanced in the world. The church is uh, the shock troops, the stormtroopers, the army that brings the kingdom into the entire world. So the kingdom involves all of life, every realm of life, just as the law of God does, God intends for every realm of life to be brought in submission to the, to the commandments, to the teaching, to the law of God. Hey, That's Alan? the kingdom of God. Yeah, Lori, go ahead. You know, I, I want to take what you just said and tie it in with what you were speaking about earlier with the parable of the fig tree and suggest this. You know, we're, we're, Christ said that except as a kernel of corn, another place to seed, whatever, fall in and die and fall in the ground, it, it, it can't grow. And I'm going to suggest that what you said there in, in Acts 2 and so on and so forth, that Christ planted that seed that became the church and it was to grow into a big fruitful tree and I fear it's not bearing much in the way of fruit and if we're not careful... He's going to curse that tree. And and we are not growing as we're supposed to and pushing this because when it says, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come in earth, as as you were were getting to is, his will here on earth is through the church uh, doing these revivals and having this and and having the upper hand, not being apathetic and letting the world just have its way. And and I, I just, that it's funny you would put that parable of the fig tree with this, with with this millennialism and, and the kingdom, because that that's what I see is, is Christ basically into the old covenant, ushered in the new. The church was born, and it's supposed to be growing and becoming that rock that covers the whole world, and, and it's it's just not being fruitful. So I just want to put that in. There. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what I believe that the church is uh, the church has been so compromised. I mean. Even in the New Testament, all of the look at all the epistles. There were already attacks from Satan to dis, to distract, to to corrupt, to to bring in false teaching, to corrupt the church, and to distract, to keep the church from accomplishing the mission that Jesus has given. And he does. I mean, we sometimes are easy pickings for for our enemy, because we don't just come back. I mean, look at the Protestant Reformation started out very powerfully, getting back to the Word of God, and yet we have been splintered into hundreds, thousands of differing uh, groups that have just absolutely destroyed much influence that we have in the world. We don't speak as one. We don't act as one uh, family of God upon the earth, because we're all listening and following the commandments of Jesus. This is what we should do, but we don't. We we pick and choose. Uh, we have a buffet uh, style about following Jesus. We pick and choose what we like. 
we don't like this, we go down the street and find another one, you know, that we like better. So the first one is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty important to me. Matthew 6.33. The second one is we must be an example of what we're teaching. I'll base this one on Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Be the salt and the light of the world. And Jesus says it here in a very positive way because he had a band of disciples that were becoming, that were salt and light. And his, anyone that really gets serious about following Jesus will be salt and light in the world. And this is our mission. What does that mean? That means to be an example of what we're teaching to the world and be uh, the, tr- the right type of influence in the world. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Pretty good description of the churches in America. They're good for nothing. They're reject. They don't have. We don't have any influence on our culture. We're a laughing stock. They just. Uh, they don't even. We're not even on. We're not even a bleep on the radar in America. Hardly. There is not one leading Christian man that will stand up and confront what's going on in America. It doesn't seem like. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Are we the salt? Of America or not? We're obviously not. Because our culture is going, is corrupt, being more and more and more corrupted. There's very little confrontation. There's very little uh, conviction of sin. The churches do not, are not the conscience of our nation. We don't speak up boldly, clearly like the apostles did. No, we just go, we, we coexist. We coexist today. This is what we believe. Our our mission is to be a, just a peaceful coexisting. Uh, you know, we'll get along with anybody today. We'll just accept anybody. We just have a loving attitude or whatever. Is that what Jesus said? No, you're to be the salt of the earth. The salt does what? The salt stops the decay in meat. That's what it does. And. Obviously, the churches are not doing this today. Salt you also, are. Go ahead. Salt also irritates. That, that's one of the things I know is people leave out with that little analogy. Put a little salt on a wound and see if it doesn't irritate yeah. you a little bit. So it's not just a preservative. It, 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 it's an irritant. But, yeah. Alan, I want to thank you for that, that last little barrage you did. I, I want to thank you so much. That That was superb it was clear succinct and this right here is why i get hired when i have gone back and i have read some of these older sermoners what you just said is what used to be taught not this go along this this coexist it's plain you use that you hear christians and i'm using that term loosely and advisedly they're complaining now about this coexist between the catholic or the christians uh, supposedly and and the muslims okay and yet that we have as a church body we, we collectively, we have coexisted with the earth, with the world, which is forbidden, by the way, in Scripture. Love not the things of the world, as the world needs the things that are in the world. 
uh, know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be the, in, the friend of the world is the enemy of God. And we have coexisted with the world, as you said, that, that adding the Muslims in isn't any different because they're just the world like the rest of the world is the world. And anyway, I, I want to get you up on a roll, but thank you for that because I don't believe you're going to hear that from too many terrible pulpits. Thank you. Well, uh, to me, I, this is so clear in these passages, you know. Jesus irritated people every day of his life. I mean, he went around. Jesus was not just meek and mild, <coughs> coexisting kind of a guy. He challenged the establishment of his day so much that they killed him. He would go into the synagogues, and when he, before they would go out, when they went out, they were plotting to kill him. In Mark chapter 3, read that one. <coughs> Jesus, Jesus confronted people. He convicted people with the law of God. And we don't do that today. We're afraid to offend anybody today in America. We're not, we don't have any salt in us. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under the bushel but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They will see that you are consistent with what you teach. This is what Jesus criticized the Pharisees about because they were not consistent with what they taught. Let me just read that. Woe unto you, hypocrites! What Jesus demands of his disciples, this I'm dealing with our mission. We can't just go teach. We have to be a certain, we have to have a certain lifestyle, a certain manner of life that is consistent with what we teach in order for the world to believe us. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus confronted the Pharisees uh, almost every day of his, existence, of his ministry. Matthew 23, verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. They love to be puffed themselves up and sit in the important seats where they will get the praises of men. All therefore... Whatever they bid you observe, that observe and do. What they teach you from the law, you need to obey it. Why? Because they teach it? No, because the, that's what God says. It's the law of God. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not after their works, for they say and do not. This is what makes the gospel of none effect is a hypocrisy. We don't, we're not consistent in our lives. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen of men, for they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at the feast, and the chief seats in the synagogues, 
and greetings in the marketplace, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all of you are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Does that ring a bell anywhere? Neither be called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And we could just read all of Matthew 23. Before we carry out and teach and preach the gospel of Jesus, we must live it. We must be a living demonstration to the world of what we're asking them to be. This is what is absolutely essential to the gospel, to the success of the preaching of the gospel. And this is what very often is missing. I mean, you read that passage there in uh, Matthew 23, and does any of your pastors or priests or the leaders, does any of that seem to fit into that? Yes, it does, doesn't it? And so we as, as Christians are brothers. None of us is more important than anybody else. We need to model what we are asking other people to do. <clears throat> this is what the Pharisees did not do. And now let's get to the Great Commission. This is the mission that Jesus sends us into. And a lot of times we forget this. Matthew, I'm going to read it in all three of the Gospels where it is uh, recorded. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, this is after he had been raised from the dead, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I have been given all power over all principalities and powers and every name that is given, I have been given that power, and now I am sending you with my authority with you to do this. Go, therefore, and teach all nations. What are we supposed to teach them? We're we're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We're to immerse them in in, in the teaching and the life of Jesus. Everything is about Jesus, and we are to follow Jesus. We are to be committed to Jesus. And the initial conversion process is more than just baptism, but that's that's a part of it. And then we are to teach them, as I have been saying, to observe, to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, His authority is with us always. We're sent as ambassadors with authority into the world. Now, they may not recognize the authority. They may not submit to the authority as they ought to, but the authority is behind us and behind this message. And Jesus is sending us into the world to command, to carry out, his commandments, that all people would repent and submit 
to Jesus as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There is to be no neutrality. There is to be no no just attitude of just let's just coexist and get along together and we'll accept you and you'll accept us and we won't challenge each other. We won't try to correct each other. We won't try to change anybody. We'll just all get along and be happy forever and ever and live happily. This is the message we get today, right, a lot of times. This is not what Jesus taught. Jesus teaches to go and teach his message, which calls for people to repent, to turn to God, to obey the commandments of God that are revealed throughout the Bible, the Ten Commandments, the commandments of Jesus, and to submit to those and to follow Jesus. This is what we're to teach people. This is what we're sent as ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says very clearly. Mark chapter 16 verse 15 says it a little bit differently. And Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world, all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He's already damned. He's already, he's already lost. He's already condemned because of his sins. He needs to repent of his sins or he's going to be. He's going to perish. Alan? Go ahead. I, I hate to do this, but, but, but that what you just read, I, I just feel I, I have to interject. I, that verse and ones like it, I think, are so grossly misunderstood and mispresented. This does not simply believe, and Paris Reed has brought this up before. When it says believe it, it does not. It does not simply mean you believe in a historical Jesus Christ who is crucified, died, buried, uh, resurrected on 30. That is not the way that word means. That word means covenant. That means to accept that mission and to enter into a contract, a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ to continue the work that he started here. I, I'm sorry, I, I really didn't want to, because you're really on a roll, but I, I just felt led I had to put that in there. Amen. That's exactly right. Amen. It doesn't just mean to mentally accept something, okay, okay, I believe that, and going about your life. No, it means accept everything about Jesus, accept the package that he offers us, the covenant that he offers us, and enter into a serious covenant, lifelong covenant, with Jesus. Amen. Exactly. And we, uh, this is, today we just have this so, such easy, what do they call it? Easy believism, easy, shallow kind of uh, gospel. Then Luke chapter 24. Uh, this is all at the end of the life of Jesus after he's been crucified and raised again. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So here's the mission to go and 
and and offer terms, basically offer terms of surrender to the world. Offer terms that Jesus has has defeated Satan and it's our responsibility to carry to be ambassadors to carry his his covenant terms of peace with them with us into the world and offer that to people not everybody's yeah. going to accept it not everybody's going to submit to it but that's going to lead to a, a future confrontation with Jesus himself go ahead Lori. I, I, I want to clarify that point because I think a lot of people misunderstand that. That is the church, the Christians, offering surrender terms to the world that the world may surrender to, not the church to the world. And that has been flipped on its head. That, that's, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's... Uh... To me, that's what clearly what is is implied in teaching here, and we are ambassadors. We have the authority to to offer these terms of peace. You know, it's like at uh, at the end of World War II, there Douglas MacArthur was out there on the ship, and he offered terms of surrender to the Japanese. Now, that's like that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, it doesn't seem like that, does it? But this is what Jesus says, commands us, gives us the authority to do that. It'd be like a great king sending his ambassador over to another kingdom and saying, uh, here's the terms of peace that I'm going to offer you. And this is what we're to do uh, with the gospel of Jesus. There, it's the covenant that God offers the world. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Uh, Acts 17, 30 and 31. Now God commands all men everywhere to repent. For the day is coming in which uh, all that are on the earth will be judged by the man whom he has ordained, Jesus himself. Acts 17, 30 and 31. So repentance. So our mission is to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. It's not try to, I mean, you should go back and listen to that lesson Paris Reed had, had about that, about his experience in Africa. I thought that was, that was one, a, great, uh, a great explanation of this. Then the next commandment is uh, what Jesus gave to Peter on the shore in Galilee after he had been raised from the dead. And the commandment is, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So when they had dined, this is John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus, you remember the story, they were out fishing, and Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. And Peter jumped into the water and swam over, and they brought the fish, and Jesus cooked the fish for them. And they had breakfast there on the, on the shore. And when they had dined, Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, and you remember what Simon, uh, what Peter had done. He had denied Jesus three times that he didn't even know Jesus. Cursed the last time. Simon, son of, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And uh, he said to him, Yea, Lord, uh, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. 
And he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. And he said, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know that you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Jesus had poured his life into Peter and into these apostles. And Peter was kind of the leader of the the leader of the group of this band of brothers that Jesus had poured his life into. And Peter had to stick with it. He, he couldn't just give up now. He had to stick with it and feed his sheep. Be the leader. Feed. That means a depth. That means a consistent, uh, interactive relationship with the sheep. One great phrase uh, about being the shepherds, being the leaders, being the, the pastors of the flock is that they smell like sheep. They smell like sheep. How do you know if if someone is a real pastor, if someone is a real uh, shepherd? Well, they smell like sheep. They're that close. They're, they're always involved with their people. And this is what he is, he is instructing us to have this kind of commitment uh, with, with the disciples of Jesus. And we need to chew on that. And then you might say, well, how do we do this? How, how do we go? How do we, I mean, come on, this is like an impossible deal. And it is. I would say it is an impossible deal. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit, the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me read this next one. Because Jesus trained them how to do it. Jesus gave them a living example. He showed them. For three years, every day, several times a day, how to do this. And he gave them some. He he in Luke Matthew chapter ten and Luke chapter ten he sent them out to go practice. You know, Matthew chapter ten verse five. Let me read this to you. These twelve disciples, these twelve apostles, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, "Go not into the way of the Gentiles. I don't want you to go to the Gentile nations yet." But into the city of the Samaritans, don't go. I don't want you to go to the Samaritans yet. This is just practice. This is go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I want you to, I want you first of all to give the first, the first chance at this to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. This is what the Bible always says. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, right? Romans 1.16. So Jesus sent his disciples, the first time he sent them out, to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. So Jesus sent them out with authority 
with power to perform miracles, to uh, have have power uh, go along with them so that people would believe the message that they're presenting. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it, bless it, salute it, bring God's blessing with you, And if the house be worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now, does that sound like you have? Does that sound like you have authority with you? That Jesus is going to back you up if these people reject you, if they persecute you, if they hurt you. Is is there any authority? Is there any power behind you? Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, and for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your Father which speaks in you. So don't worry. Don't worry so much about what you're going to say. It will come to you. The Holy Spirit will give it to you in the time that it's needed, and you will say what needs to be said at that time. There is authority there with you. There is help, grace there with you to say the right thing and to do the right thing. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. It's pretty serious business here that he's calling us to. Even your own family members, even your own family members may turn against you and hurt you and persecute you and even kill you. It's hard to imagine. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Do we preach this to people today? Come and follow Jesus. Oh, by the way, you're going to be hated by everybody. It's not going to be popular. You're going to be hated by everybody. And it might be that they persecute you. It might be that they kill you. Come follow me. We don't present it quite like that today, do we? And when they persecute you in one city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. What I believe that means is that the judgment of 
the judgment on the nation of Israel will come before they have the time to really saturate all the cities of Judea and Israel, Galilee at that time with the gospel of Christ, before uh, the judgment, uh, basically the coming of the Roman armies in 66 to 73 A.D., which is what happened. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is not enough, it, or it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? If they have called me, that I'm working with Satan, what do you think they're going to call you? That's what Jesus is saying. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hidden that shall not be known. But I tell you in darkness, that speak in the light, and when you hear what you hear in the ear, that preach on the housetops. Fear not them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father knowing. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. Uh, when I was growing up, they would they would quote that verse about uh, the initial process of conversion, that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Uh, whoever confesses with the mouth Jesus is Lord will be saved. <clears throat> but this passage here, is, I don't think, is really talking about the initial process of conversion. This passage here is talking about going and sharing and, and standing up for Jesus, confessing your faith in Jesus, in the face of, of harsh persecution. Hey, Alan? Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> well, uh, in line with that, I just want to point out that I, I think a lot of people take that word, especially there in that verse, to, to mean to, to disavow, as, as Peter did that you mentioned earlier. And it does have that concept. But it also has a secondary concept of to contradict. And I'm going to tell you point blank. I hear people contradict Jesus Christ constantly. Those yeah. that, that claim to be Christian, they directly contradict what he has clearly, categorically, definitively stated. So, so it's not just saying, no, I don't believe in this Christ fella. It, it, it also has the connotation of, of to contradict him. And by the way, they did call him Beelzebub. Thou cast yeah. out devil by Beelzebub. So they yeah. did call him. So what more are they going to call and do to us? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I didn't come to just coexist and to get along with everybody and bring peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I came not. I came to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. 
He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. And he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give a drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. What does all of that mean? That means that Jesus goes with us. How people treat us is how they treat him. This is how people, we're all going to be judged on the basis of how we have treated the brothers, the disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is watching. Jesus is with us. He is, he is Emmanuel. He is with us. And his authority is with us. And he watches very carefully how people treat us. And that will come up on the day of judgment. I don't. That's encouraging to me. Okay. So that's how we're to go. I mean, that's Matthew chapter ten, Luke chapter ten. Great passages about how to do it. And then we're to pray for workers to be sent out. Listen to how Jesus felt overwhelmed. Matthew Matthew chapter nine, verse thirty-five. Jesus went, out, Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He was doing everything he could personally in the flesh to advance the kingdom of God. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. This is how he saw the multitudes. This is how he sees the world. As sheep having no shepherd. Sheep having no shepherd, what would they do? They'd just wander, wander off. Everyone would go their own way, kind of wander off. No direction, no purpose, just eating here and there and be lost. This is how Jesus sees the world. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray. Well, what are we supposed to do about that? What are we supposed to do when we see the world going to hell? When we see people just like sheep, without any guidance, without any direction, without any help, what are we supposed to do? Just throw up our hands and say, uh, the, you know, Jesus has got to come back to save us. No, he says what we're to do is to pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Pray. This is not our mission. This is God's mission. This is God's work. And we're just tagging along. So pray, pray that God would send 
How often do we do this? How often do we pray that God would send pastors, preachers, and like George Whitfield, like Jonathan Edwards, like like John Wesley into America, like uh, Charles Finney? Pray that God would raise up men that would turn the hearts of America back to God, of the world back to God. This is what we need to be praying. And that there would be shepherds there to feed them. Maybe this is what's wrong with America, that we don't even, we don't even really see it like this. We don't even see America as really lost anymore. I think probably that's what it is. So is it impossible? Yeah, it's impossible for men to do it. With all with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we need to depend upon God and pray for God. And then Jesus said, "Wait for the Holy Spirit." I was going to I was going to read through uh Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 to show you what happened. And I'll, I'll just kind of summarize that. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit. This is right before he went back to heaven. Listen to what he says. Until the day in which Jesus was taken up, uh, let me read verse 1. This, the former treatise have I, O Theophilus, this is Luke, uh, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. He had given the commandments. He had trained. He had taught them. He had given them the commandments about what he wanted them to do. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Don't don't go off half-cocked, just like, okay, let's go. No, wait for the power because you cannot do this in your own strength, in your own power. And when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They still apparent, I, they still had the, I think, an, a very earthly... Uh, political concept of the kingdom at that time. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? 
This same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Let me just read a little bit in Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, you know the rest of Acts chapter 1, they are assembled together, 120 of the disciples with the brothers and the mother of Jesus, and they pray, and they, they're there for a space of time praying for the Holy Spirit to come. They select Matthias to replace Judas. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with all other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So God was setting up an a, a an opportunity here to share the gospel, to preach the gospel with power to people from all the nations already, right there that day. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? They're uneducated. And how do we hear every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then he goes through the list of different places that they were from all over the world at that time. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying to one another, what does this mean? And others mocking him said, these guys are drunk. They're full of wine. And then Peter gets up and preached the great sermon that that uh, is one of the greatest sermons ever preached, defending uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. It was all in accord with the Scriptures, and they had seen it, and they were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then listen to what Peter says. Therefore, let all... This is at the conclusion of his sermon in Acts 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The man that you crucified not just 50 days ago at the Passover feast that you all know about, the same Jesus that you crucified has been raised and gone back to heaven and seated at the right hand of God and he has been made Lord in Christ. So you're accountable to that before God. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were cut to the heart, some say. It, it convicted them deeply. And they said, men and brethren, if we, if we have killed God's own son and he's back on the throne, what are we going to do? How, what are we going to do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this 
untoward, this crooked generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, in Jerusalem, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There's the mission of Jesus Christ. There's the apostles of Jesus being commissioned, waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, preaching the gospel of Christ with power, imparting that power to the church, and the church modeling this new lifestyle, having favor with all the people, and people were being added to them every day. 3,000 people, then the next reference is 5,000, then multitudes, men and women, then even the priests, some of the priests were saved, many of the priests, and then the council, the Jewish council, uh, became very concerned and arrested them and threatened them, warned them not to preach in the name of Jesus. And I I mean, we could go through that, but they they warned and commanded them strictly not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And listen to what Peter says here. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, they healed a man in the temple by what means he was made whole, be it known unto you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught by you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Beholding the man that was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. He was right there. And everybody there, too many people knew that he was healed, that he hadn't walked before. And when they commanded them to go outside, they, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We, it's obvious a great miracle has been done here. What are we going to do? And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorified God for what was done. 
For the man was above 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing was showed. So they let them go, and what did they do? They went out and kept preaching and teaching. They went to their disciples. They went to their group of other Christians. They prayed and uh, received more power, more boldness from the Holy Spirit, and they continued. And this is how the gospel of Christ uh, was, was brought into the world in Jerusalem and expanded throughout the world at that time. This is our mission. This is our mission today. And we lose sight of this, we get busy, we get caught up in the world, and we lose sight of our mission. And uh, God forgive us for that. We need his power, we need his grace, we need his help every step of the way. For it is an impossible mission. But this is what we're called to do. And the, the mission field, the mission is so incredibly large today that it's, it's just overwhelming. And so we need to pray. We need to pray and keep praying. We need to study some of the great revivals. I've been thinking maybe uh, to study some of those great revivals uh, after I get through with this series of lessons. Because this is the hope we need today. That the Lord, in response to God's people crying out, can he has in history an absolutely impossible thing. This is what we need to cry out today for. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, we read these passages of uh, the mission that you gave the apostles, that Jesus gave the apostles, that Jesus came and carried out in his life. It's just awe-inspiring, Father. Oh, that it would happen again. Oh, that Pentecost would happen again. Oh, that you would raise up workers and send them out into the harvest and send great men like the apostles, like the apostle Paul, like the twelve apostles, like Stephen and like the great men, like John John Calvin and Martin Luther and these great men that that defied the Catholic Church, the power of the Catholic Church, and transformed Western culture with your gospel, with the power of the gospel that you uh, gave them and followed with them. Men like... Men like... I just, uh, there's so many, George Whitfield and John Wesley and these great men that just had such a power. We need men like this. Charles Finney. Men that had, they would walk into towns and the whole town would be converted to Jesus Christ. And the culture would change. This is what we need today. Oh, God. Oh, God, don't give up on America yet. Send workers into the harvest. Send workers, Father. And please have mercy and please listen and hear us. Wake up your people. Wake up your people across America. 
The mission seems impossible to us, but help us not to compromise. Help us not to simply coexist, but help us to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. Be merciful to us, forgive us, Father, and save us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alan. You know, at first, when when I first heard you say, you know, it was an impossible mission, I'm like, okay, where is this going? But I got to tell you, you know, you did. You gave us an impossible mission, and people go, well, wait a minute. Why why would God take... In our own strength, it is impossible. But Christ, through us, it is possible. And the problem is, as... When A, did we not straightly charge you not to teach and preach in this man? What did he do? They went and teach and taught in, in, in Jesus' name. What do we say today? Oh, golly, shucky darn. Well, all right, I guess we can't do it. No, what are we doing? We're walking by sight and not by faith. When we yeah. see these overwhelming odds, the Goliath, just as David did, and everybody seems to love that story, but when we're confronted with our own giants, we go, oh, whoa, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, you can. The Lord told you to. And you know what? Even if you die in the process, it's irrelevant. Sorry, but it is. The Lord says, do these things. Yeah. Alan, I, I, I got to tell you, you, you to, to me, you're always a, a very exciting and informative speaker. But I, I got to tell you, 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 somebody lit a fire under you. I, there was some real passion uh coming through there and and, and you know it's amazing we, we hear this we, we have these phrases you know one man trash is another man's treasure and you know one man's uh food is another man's poison or whatever it is i, I got to tell you with the same shake of the salt shaker i'm pretty sure that that will irritate some but for me it is a preservative and i i want to thank you that 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 was very very powerful and and succinct i think it's uh sorely missing from today's churchianity so thank you you're welcome you're welcome i got a couple of i can get this stupid board to work oh it's it's working i'm i'm opening up that must be Maria, and I'm trying to bring. I'm sure that's that's Jen. If I can, this more there we there we go. I think I I think I got you two uh, unmuted. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts or comments, but your mics are hot. I just came in, Lori. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Maria's been here the whole time, though, more or less, huh? And I come out of my First Amendment zone. Not following you. First Amendment zone. Oh, oh, you're in prison. Oh, you're free speech zone. Yeah, I get. Yeah, that's 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 right. And and and. <laughs> you, yeah. Well, it might offend people. You you don't want to offend anybody, do you? I mean, yeah, after I'm all, we're just ambassadors. Please, please. I mean, after all, we're, we're we're only ambassadors for Christ. We're just representing Him. Here, that's all. Well, Alan said Jesus can't go a day without offending people. I'm going to get on board. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, Alan. Touche. Touche. All right, sweetie. You know what? You are a great revivalist. I'm sorry. Uh, I got to say, what I've been seeing, this foundation is what people need. Do you think, think ye that this burden is just man's alone? You are sorely mistaken. Have you seen the 2015 uh, Grammy Awards, Alan? Uh, no, I've heard a little bit about them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And all those teenagers wearing light-up horns in the crowd that were given out to them? Unbelievable. And, and, and bopping up and down a highway to hell. And they got to take them home free. This, to me, it's like, at what point, at what point are Americans going to stand up and say, no more? No, if this, how in the world can Americans go down and they're just in your face evil? How can the, can the Christian people just sit by quietly God will and not, not let say anything? God will not let them. I gotta tell you, Alan, I gotta tell you, I've been uh, trying to contact some of my churches. Uh, what I see coming is not good. Not good. The, uh, you know, we have 46 million people on food stamps, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, the smorgasbord is about to be closed and the tables are being taken down. Yeah. And we're going to find out who's been feeding with Jesus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They they have alerted the National Food Bank that uh, they have a month or two of uh, of of stuff coming in, which, by the way, really helps me get by, but sorry. But uh, a, a month or two, and then it's being cut off. Being cut off, food to the masses. Being cut off. And they're all... Well, well, if they had, they had all of this trouble in uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, just that over what went on there, man, what's yeah. going to happen if they shut off the food? That's their little pilot light for what's coming, and they know it. They've gone down in their hidey holes. That's why the gas is so low. But they, well, because they needed to get to their hidey holes, Alan. That's why the gas is going back up now. They had till the end of the month. Well, this is what I'm seeing. Maria, yeah. Maria, shush. They have to be in those hidey holes to cry out to the rocks to fall on them. That's very Yeah, yeah well. <laughs> Sorry. So, speaking of the rocks falling on people, um, uh, today my mom sent me that link to the Grammy show thingy, and, I mean, I was just so utterly appalled, and I feel just like Pastor Allen blatant in your face devil worship in the United States. Um, you know, it's like to me, it's like God is speaking through where he is purifying. Like literally, I would that your sins be white as snow and we have these monster snowstorms coming through in the area where we were supposedly founded on the rock. And uh I read to my mom the other day about the uh the Israelites uh, choosing a rock they were not hewn out of, um, saying to 
uh, saying to another rock that you are my father, you've given birth to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, it's sad, you know. I mean, the the weight of the snow is crushing the people no. Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is, it goes along with that. Whoever falls upon this stone will be well, broken. But whoever the stone falls on will be crushed into pieces. And it's just like, uh, you know, better, Jen. when are we going to wake up? The church is going to wake up and say, there's two things right now that, that I see. The church is going to, I am almost willing to bet that the church in Massachusetts is going to say, just like God said, maybe these evils are falling upon us because God is not with us anymore. That's what the Lord said. That would turn Israel, when they see all those evils coming upon them, and they will realize, wait a second, maybe God isn't with us anymore. And then they'll cry out in repentance. The prayers of a righteous man talking, sending laborers into the field. Well, Alan, what do you suppose when they turn around and find a smorgasbord is gone, it's going to happen? Well, that's another thing. That's another thing, though. The the Bible is very clear what we're supposed to be doing with our tithes. It is not to sit, to let our churches get fat and have, you know, fun little organizations. The gospel is enough to draw the people who are to be drawn to the gospel for the gospel's sake, not for fun and games. But we are supposed to be feeding the poor and the needy. The churches are supposed to be using the tithe to feed the poor and needy. That's why he says in Malachi 3.10, bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there might be food in my house for the people. So now the government is, is turning off the tap Oh, don't turn to Egypt. Now you've got to turn to where? To where you're supposed to turn for food. Well, then i got to tell you, it gets even better because we have been weaned here. Oh, now, we all know that there's three days' worth of food on the shelves out there if everything was to stop suddenly. Now, our West Coast has not been taking in imports. That's I read that. Quote, on strike. What do you think is going on in the East Coast, Jen? Well, we're not going to say all the coasts are on strike, but, I mean, with these storms, do you think a lot of stuff's getting through? Oh, I know. And the storms, you know, there's, there's got, there's, there, there is crisis. And, and crisis. Moving it off in a month or two now. Crisis has the power to turn God's people to repentance. So as dark as it gets, the light's going to shine even brighter. You know, that's the hope that I see. Yeah, and I got to tell you, too, I was just listening to a sermon where, you know, by going to these rituals and, and putting your energy, Satan is sucking the souls out of people with these putting their energies, putting these these lit up horns on their heads and jumping up and down. And he's actually sucking the souls. And I got to tell you, with this new CERN thing, I said they had to close it down because the scientists got spooked with what what was coming through when they opened it up. Well, it's kind of like a Tower of Babel or something. I'm not quite understanding, but I know they have done something where they have this massive amount of energy that could feed this is this is some of the stuff I've been reading. It, it could it could it could 
It could power the earth with all its people for 10 years. They have managed to, to trap this energy and plan to open this thing in, in, uh, in the middle of March now. They had to shut it down because this, they were getting spooked with things they saw coming through. And I got to tell you, I know, Lori, you don't like people talking about stuff, but I got to tell you, I was uh, reading a dream, a vision, a dream uh, a mother's child, uh, a daughter had, and she was she was terrified because it was so real of you know comet of uh, fireballs falling to the earth and giants and giants standing up from it, and there was one outside of Walmart, and all of a sudden there was alarms going off, you know I saw this giant you know, and and Walmart you know this was a vision she had okay. And but the mother was very perturbed. What could it mean? And I was like, okay, well that's strange. And then I I I happened on to Hagman and Hagman, and and just as I turned it on, which is really wild because they only did about fifteen minutes of it, talking about what's happening with CERN and that people are seeing these fireballs falling and there's there's entities standing up from it. And I got to tell you, if that's on top of everybody starving. My God, they better be with Jesus. You better be, you know, you should have been walking with him just from, just from, just from understanding what he did for you, just, just, from, just from knowing what he went through for you. How could you not be standing with him and in him? But now, now your dilemma will be how to be there when you are in fear. Is that what you want to do? Or, or, or can, you, can, you, can you start getting into him before this happens because, this looks like this could very well happen. I, you know, it was almost like a, a Holy Spirit conf- confirmation. I'm sorry, Ellen. I know this is all kind of a little bit woo-doo-doo-doo, but these people are woo-doo-doo-doo. And, uh, uh, you know, if such a thing could happen, my God, my God. You know, not bad enough. We got $46 million on food stamps, and the food's going to stop coming in. But Maria? I don't know that we find woo-doo-doo-doo in the scriptures, but I believe we find that concept of the entire world, and that they get more and more doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo as time goes on. My God, well, you can see it. If you look at the Grammys, you would not believe, Lori, not just that dance with the horns on their heads, but but the demon in in the next one. I mean, Jen's right. She was just totally for The whole thing was demons. You know, they tried to play well, on Super Bowl. Maria, Maria, they're on a highway to hell. Of course they're they're imbued with demons, uh, you know, with devils. I, I mean, that's that's where people go on a highway to hell. That's what they're, who they're riding with. And we're supposed to cast them out. Yeah, we're supposed to cast out the devils. And, you know, maybe that's the key to the bottomless pit. Um, it's open. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's man's stupidity goes and opens the bottomless pit. I don't know, but whatever comes out of that pit, I know we have authority over in Jesus' name. There you go. Oh. And how are you going to do that if you haven't been walking with him? Exactly, Jen. Thank you. Yeah. Jen said, first thing she said to me, you know, I said, well, you know, the Bible says that, that it will not prevail. But she said, first thing Jen said, well, they could be chasing us. And and then you know and now she just added to it, but yes, yes, we have to know the authority of Jesus. Do we know it? Will yeah. we learn it when we are running in fear? 
This is not a joke, guys. Not a joke. And and what what how sad how sad for millions of people to starve if this is true. They they they're cutting off the food bank. How how sad. The the probably going to DHS. Uh, the, uh, Homeland Security, which they're not going to be spending or something, but yeah. And Maria, these people on their highway to hell. You know that the Lord tells us, Ezekiel 3.18, and, and proceeding, uh, uh, continuing, that he will require their blood, but he's going to require it at our hands. And why? Oh, it's a good question, because we didn't warn them. Yeah. That's, well, yeah, that's, what, that's what's so sad to me, is that the churches of America are almost, I mean, some of them are, there's a few out there that are speaking up and saying, but most of them are just silent about this. That's what's so sad. Well, but Alan, they are being nice about it, though. Uh, that's right. They are being nice. They're coexisting. <laughs> they're uh, getting along. They're being nice. That's right. Oh, Alan. <laughs> maybe they'll just maybe that maybe Satan will just be nice to us. And, you know, it, you know, if if you're nice to them, they'll be nice to us. Yeah, Jesus overturned tables for the money changers because they were using deceptive weight. I mean, <laughs> I plus you don't have any tolerance for it, for the evil that's in the world. It's not that you beat the people over the head, but you take back the kingdom. The Bible says the people that know their God will stand up and do exploit. Yeah, but you know, you know, we have to be tolerant, Jen. No. We have, we have to be real tolerant and get along and just be nice to everybody. Oh, he's just oozing with sarcasm. <laughs> My goodness. Alan, I got to tell you, there were two that stood up uh, to Obama at this last uh, conference. I'm they just, had I'm just teasing you, Jen. <laughs> there were two. There were two preachers that stood up to Obama. He was going on about Muslims and uh, about Muhammad and Jesus, and Muhammad was Muhammad, and Jesus was Jesus, and blah, blah. And, and one of them needed to get off their high horse. Is that what happened? He said, literally, Christians need to get off their high horse. Yeah, and he said, and he said, and he said, and those that are not on board with Jesus are on their way to hell. And I heard that. Uh, I thought about that grin, Jen, because you were you were talking about that grin, your your ex or, or whatever your your anyway he was giving you when he said you know when you reacted to him saying that he, he if you wanted to live you would but no 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 wait wait a minute wait a minute I, I want to see if I understand this Obama says we need to get off our high horse the Lord tells us to lift our standard. Yeah. Hmm, what to do, what to do. Oh, it's so hard. Preacher, yeah. No, the preacher yeah. told him if he was not on board with Jesus, you know, he said, oh, Muhammad, Jesus, Jesus, Muhammad, whatever he was saying. I don't know. You know, it was one of the things I went through I just heard. But there was that Jimmy, whatever that big evangelist is that baptizes everybody and sends them away as babies. Uh, what's huh? his name? Huh? Are you think Jimmy Swagger? No, not Swagger. No, the one, the one that's actually a Mason, I think. But he that he's baptizing people all over the world. I don't oh. know, Mama. 
He's a big evangelist. He's in his his father's footsteps. Oh, uh, I don't know. Oh, oh God. Well, anyway, he told him that he needed that 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 uh, that that uh, Muhammad was a slaughter and Jesus was came in love and blah blah. So I mean, he stood up to him, and then this other one stood up. And I'm sorry, I didn't catch the name right away, but he said, "I'm sure if you looked at it." He, he said, "He said if you're not on board with Jesus, you're on your way to hell." And Obama just gave him this stupid. He was sick. Like uh, John Baptist was like, "Did you see this stupid grin on his face when when he was saying that right to his face?" <laughs> that yeah. was the demon saying, "Well, we got this one. Oh, we don't have to worry about that." You know, uh, but we we're supposed to set the captives free. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Well, we're going to find out how a man does not live by bread alone pretty soon. Yeah. I've been telling my mom all along, the Lord's been having me read and reread the chapters in the Gospels where Jesus multiplied food. He multiplied food for the Gospel. People came yeah. to him. That he uh, and a lot of times they misunderstood. They were like food, 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 and he was like, "Listen to the words that I tell you about the gospel. Man does not live on bread alone, right?" But he he said, "Don't don't chase me for food's sake." Yeah. And he kept he kept turning them to the gospel, but you know I believe he said these things in greater shall you do. In my name, and I believe as if the world goes dark and people are starving, that he, the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, is within us. in Jerusalem. And he will multiply food for the gospel's sake. Well, you said, Jen, that um, you said that the glory, you said the glory is going to, it says the glory will fall on us just before he comes, so. The glory will cover the earth. The That's, glory of the Lord will cover the earth for her, uh, for labor, harvest laborers. Yes, yeah. and and, and the, the bride is going to have to wake up and shake herself off and say, "Okay, I've been asleep. I things have been going right on in front of my eyes, and I have not been paying attention. I don't want to be one of those foolish virgins. So get up, wake up." My God, yeah. Well, I've I've got to get to bed tonight, and uh, I've enjoyed being with you, and hope you guys have a good week. Thank you, Alan, for laying some foundation. Lord knows it needs to be fresh in people's minds anymore. Yes, we need that. We need the foundation. You're welcome. You guys have a good week, okay? You too. You too, too, Alan. Okay, good night. God bless. Oh. Yeah, Jen, you you missed quite a good one. Alan really outdid himself. He he was on fire tonight. If you get a chance, you might want to catch that in the archives. But I don't know how was... to get into the archives without Skype. Like, can you get into it without Skype? Yeah, if you, if you go if you go to my, I sent you all those links there. All you mean on Skype? That's where I sent. Yeah, if you go to Lori's Talk News Radio dot com. On the landing page, the home page, scroll down about two-thirds of the way, and you'll see a little widget, they call it. It's, it's a rectangular box. 
and that'll take you right here to all the archives. They're all so there. Take me to today's, like first, or like, it'll be last, or what? Well, it'll it'll be first, but it'll take a minute to post. It won't be there until well, maybe showing is live, but it'll be there ap- after it posts as an archive. But yeah, okay. But it'll be the what, first one. What is tonight's called? What is sorry, it? What I was, is, I was, sorry, I was texting Alan. Uh, uh, I, I just, I just, well, hang, hang on. It, it is, it is restoring biblical church, the commands of Christ, Part Six, Mission Impossible. Amen. Uh, it sounds good. Yes, I will definitely listen to it because I've, I've been going through the Bible and uh, marking what looks like a commandment, what He said to do, and like numbering them. So I think I found forty in Matthew. So. Yeah. There's an awful lot of commandments in, in in the New Testament that people say that, that that we don't we don't have commandments anymore. It's, it's just amazing. Well, then that, that doesn't make sense. If you love me, then you keep my commandments. How how do you justify that? You know, we're not keeping the Old Testament law. So what commandments are we possibly talking about? So. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, Pat's reaction to what I put up today, Jen, he uh, put something um, up he's leaving on his cruise in February. They put the kids to sleep at 8.40, and I hear one now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, guys, what do, you, what do you say we end this broadcast? Because I don't really want to get too straight from Alan's. That was a very powerful on-fire sermon, and, and I don't really want to excuse it. So why don't we end this? And if, if if y'all want to talk afterwards, we can do that. But but I I, I don't want to really lose the the, the focus of, of that broadcast, which we did kind of immediately fine, after I opened up, immediately That's after fine. I opened up mine. So because um, that that really was powerful, and I, I don't want anybody to have to have a hard time searching for it. So uh, let's okay. see. This is uh, Wednesday, so we won't have anything until Saturday. When we have uh, uh, Michael Heiser on again, I'm not sure which one I'm gonna upload yet, but uh, that's that's the plan. So, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Alan, too, belatedly, even though you're gone. But you probably catch us in the archive, I'm guessing. And uh, good night, everyone, and uh, God bless. God bless. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.